All right, everybody, welcome to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. Thank you again for joining us here on the set. Uh, Remember, wherever you are watching us from right now at this very moment, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, like, follow, subscribe, comment, share, so that you don't miss anything going on on the set of Studio B. And also remember, wherever you access your podcast from, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, Google Music, you can find Studio B on those same platforms. We just topped over 6,000 subscribers. Remember, we're heading for 10,000. We need your help in doing so. So again, make sure that you are like, following, and subscribing to this podcast. Today, 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 on the set of Studio B, in person, live, direct, and in color. We are continuing with our series about normalizing success. And for the last three weeks, we've had notable African-American women who have made great strides in their particular industries, whether that's in education, entrepreneurship, whatever field that may be, and they are reaching great heights in their own chosen endeavors. And today is no exception. I have a fabulous guest sitting to my uh, sitting at the table of Studio B, Dr. LaShonda Page. And I want to, first of all, thank you for joining us here on the set of Studio B. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. God is good. He is. So, Dr. LaShonda Page, I, I, I told her uh, as she sent me her bio, uh, we've been knowing each other for a couple of years, actually. Right. Um, and uh, her story has always fascinated me because her mom's story has always fascinated me. All of her kids, the kids that I know, all have a story. Um, but Dr. Page enlisted in the United States Navy in June of 1991. Uh, she attended boot camp at the Naval Training Center located in Orlando, Florida. And for the next eight years of service included tours to Western Pacific and promotions to rank of petty officer first class by the end of her military service. Uh, Dr. Page, uh, to her country, will continue upon honorable discharge from the Navy by joining the Texas Air National Guard as a first lieutenant for the next six years. Uh, Dr. Page military declarations include Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medals, Second Award, Good Conduct Medal, Fourth Award, National Defense Service Medal, Desert Shield, Desert Storm Ribbon, uh, National Texas National Guard Outstanding Service Military Ribbon, and Texas National Guard Humanitarian Service Military Ribbon. Uh, she holds a state uh, Texas State Board of Educator uh, Certification in Special Education, guidance counseling, and principalship. Dr. Page has completed uh, completed her undergraduate studies, wow, at San Diego State University, Mm -hmm. earning a bachelor's degree in computer science, and then she went on to attend Southwestern Assemblies of God University and earned two master's degrees, an MBA and a master's degree in education. She has two doctoral degrees, including a Ph.D. from Concordia University with an emphasis on uh, organizational educational leadership and doctorate in education from Newborn Theological Seminary and College of the Bible with an emphasis on Christian education. Yes, sir. Two masters, two doctorates. For two separate reasons. For two separate (laughs) reasons. My goodness. (laughs) 
Uh, she also holds licenses in Texas real estate and Texas life insurance license, and she also uh, attained these two licenses to assist families and individuals with um, disabilities. Um, her background and her resume is extensive, and this is par for the course of what we have been talking about for the last couple of weeks here on the set of Studio B, where we are normalizing success. Um, I want to say, first of all, congratulations um, to you as an educator who has sought out education and the benefits thereof. And I want to say hearty congratulations to all that God is doing in your life. Thank you. So with that said, Dr. LaShonda Page, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, so happy to be here. I say thank you again. I'm I'm truly grateful I think it's important for people to understand um, the many degrees and the nature of labels. Um, I came from a 14-year-old mother. You know that. Mm. Uh, they said my mom, my dad, I, we would never be anything because my mom was 14, my dad was 17. Um, going back to East Texas, when I go there, they always are just simply amazed that all of the accomplishments that all of us made. My mom went on to be the top auditor at ExxonMobil, retired at 38, after 38 years, but she was only 58 years old. My dad went on to retire from AT&T um, as a chief operating officer with 41 years of service, and he retired at 59, 60. Mm. And so they made prestigious moves in their career. And then now I'm a lead counselor at my high school. But here's the thing. When I was 30 years old, they labeled me being ADD. Mm. So that I would be ADD, I didn't understand why I was always seeking to learn. And it was because I had an attention deficit. I get bored with something, I want to move on to the next. Bored with something, move on to the next. So I get an MBA because I want to be a lieutenant in the military. I go on to get a master's in education because now I want to be a school counselor. I get a PhD because I want to move up in organizational leadership, maybe on my own school one day. So I wanted to know how to build that organization based on on my MBA, but then I got to a stop, and I went to seminary school because I wanted to know what was Christian education. Um, what I thought was Christian education was totally different, and so the story behind that, I had a student. His name was Michael Nilsson. He's now passed on, but when I first got him in the ninth grade, like, I knew public school wasn't the place for him. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, so autistic. He needed social skills. He needed life skills. So I started looking into Christian schools because I thought, of course, it's a private school. It's Christian. They'll take anyone. Not the case. And so I thought, well, what's the difference between Christian education and public education? And truthfully, theirs is private. It's paid for by the parents. But the schools feel like they don't have the resources to meet the students' needs. So if you need speech therapy or if you needed, you know, um, OP, OT, if any type of outside service you would need, the private schools felt like they couldn't provide it because they didn't have the resources. So they turned away the student with special needs. So my one charge to them was God said, go forth and make disciples of all nations. So all shouldn't exclude students with special needs. So mm. why can't they be invited to your educational feast? Never really got an answer to it other than they can't provide the resources. But in seminary school, I learned that Christian education is not just about 
like educating students. It's more praise and worship. It's Bible study. It's it's Sunday school. It's anywhere you can be educated about God, which then pushed me back to the schools to say, but these students are special. They're unique. They need to be invited to your educational feast. Um, unfortunately, there's many, many private Christian schools that do not offer services for students with special needs. So let me ask you a question because you bring up an interesting point here in, in your journey. Of um, You said you left high school at 17 and you immediately went into the Navy. Turned 18 when you were in the Navy. I turned 18 in boot camp. In boot camp. Uh, so your journey from leaving high school to where you are right now has been a journey um, and the bit that I know about the family and the family dynamic from which uh, Sister Norman has shared to me is a fabulous and a wonderful testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a testimony of God's greatness, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's favor. Um, now, you, you said your mother had you when she was 14 years old. I, I don't think that registered to a lot of people. Um, she wasn't pregnant at 14. She had you at 14? No, she had me at 14. She turned 15 six days later. So my birthday is June 22nd. She was 14. On June 28th, she turned 15. So this year I'll be 48 and she'll be 63. So I want you to, I want you to just kind of let that sit, everybody. So your mother had you when she was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Your dad was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. That bring, now, part for the course in that age group, you know, our parents and our, our well, let me say, my grandmother in that generation, that was part for the course, early age pregnancies and things of that nature. But that was a lot of times where that was an easy out to check out. You know, I'm 14 years old. I got a baby, X, Y, and Z. Um, I'm in the perfect environment just to kind of kick up my feet and kind of coast through life. I made a mistake. I won't recover from it. My life is over. Right. But that's not what happened. No. So tell us what happened. My grand, Well, my great-grandmother took me and told my mom, you have to finish school, you have to go to college, you have to, you know, finish your dreams and accomplishments. So I stayed with my grandmother or my great-grandmother until I was five. She passed away in 1978. So my mom at this time might have been maybe a freshman or a sophomore in college at U of H. So my mom came back. She got me. I had to go live with my father's parents until my mom finished school, which was like another year, maybe, if I got the story right, maybe. And she could have been, I know my mom graduated from college in three years, though, so she could Mm. come back and get me. So she didn't spend, she went to school every session, so it was like fall, and then if it was the winter session, and then spring, and then summer, like she went and she finished school in three years at U of H to become an accountant so that she can come back and get me. And I don't remember being with my father's parents that long. Now, see, that's, see, now that's, so you, so your mother, Sister Norman, got through school in three years Mm -hmm. uh, to get school over with, but to make sure that she got school over with, but to go back and get her child. Yes. She came back to St. Augustine and got me. Now, see, this is why me and y'all connect so well, because, you know, I'm from around that area. Well, my parents and my my grandmother's from the uh, Sherino area. So it's, it's (laughs) St. Augustine, Sherino, Right there in that little thing. And as I was talking to Deborah Norman, there are so many different similarities because my mom had me when she was 16. She went back to school, went to U of H and got her degree at U of H. So these things are just kind of lining all up. But so she got done with college in three years, Mm -hmm. came back and got you. And then what happens? 
So ideally, her and I, we laugh about it now, right? But back then, it wasn't the best decision. I went to a private school on Main Street. I would catch the bus with the bus driver and take a route with him all the way back around the Astrodome and back downtown until my mom got off from work. Mm -hmm. And if he didn't work that day, he told his partner or whatever, whatever they call him, hey, you have to watch this little girl because she makes the circle with me until her mom gets off. Wow. And so I was on a metro bus, maybe six, seven years old, catching the bus by myself, relying on the bus driver that I was going to be safe and be okay and wait for my mom. Then we lived in a one-bedroom apartment forever. We didn't move into a two-bedroom until I was 10 years old almost. Um and we moved to Hearthwood, i never forget, right um, off of 610. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally got my own bedroom. And I was super excited. But for a long time, me and my mom, we shared a one-bedroom. I caught the bus. I wasn't a bad kid. I stayed at home in the summer by myself. She made sure I locked the doors. Don't open the door for anybody. If someone come, hide in the closet. You know, don't, don't open the doors. But it was a different society then. And not that it probably was any more safer than it would be today. It's just that that's what she had to do to provide for me. There was a point when my mom needed a car and she had to work three jobs. I finished a semester living with my dad in Freeport. Um, But I was like, Mom, you have to come get me. You have to come get me. To know us, we oil and water. Two, Mm. Two totally different breeds. But I think it took for me to have my own daughter to see how I made my mom feel with mm. going. I've always been one. I'm going to tell you what I feel and I'm going to go about my business. But I don't say a lot. Like, I don't I don't say a lot. But for some reason, her and I, we just, we don't see eye to eye all the time. Mm. It's a lot better now. Over, I would say over the last course of five or six years, but I felt like I was missing something. And I think one day the Lord just took me and he shook me and he said, hey, what did she know what to do with you at 14? What did she know what mm, to do with you at yeah. 24? You're still trying to figure out what to do with your 26-year-old at 48. So what did she know what to do with you? Let it go. Because I always would say I'm not angry. But now I know she did the best that she could yeah, being yeah. a baby with the baby. Yeah. And she just didn't know. Me having my daughter at 21, I find myself telling her, hey, this don't come with no instruction manual. It don't tell me flip to page 10 because Demonica is bipolar today. Yeah. Demonica wants her way today, so flip to page 10 and you're going to follow one, two, three. There's no manual. Mm. But I didn't give my mom that pass. The pass I was giving myself for not understanding, I didn't give her that pass. Now it's like, you know what? She really did the best that she could do, yeah. and she had my best interest at heart. And I really didn't turn out that bad of a person, mm. even after they labeled me ADD at 32 years old. Like, she didn't know what to do with me. There was no manual that said, Shonda wants to do all these things, and I need to turn to page 37 to figure out how to deal with Shonda. Mm. I understand that. I had a praying grandmother. Maybe I did. I don't know much about my grandparents, but I had a praying mother. And so for that, I've been able to overcome I remember my dad once said, my real dad said, Shonda's only who she is because of Nelson, which is my stepfather. Mm. He is the world to me. He is my my knight in shining armor. He's my Superman. Like, he came through just in the nick of time. But now I will sit here and tell you, that's not the tell-all, be-all of Shonda. Deborah Norman and God mm. is the tell-all and be-all of Shonda. 
it took me a lot to humble myself and say that because you don't understand me. You don't know me. You had me at 14 when you was trying to figure out yourself. Do you know what I like? Do you know what I eat? Do you know what I wear? Do you know my favorite color? But in the biggest scheme of things, Pastor Holman, none of that stuff matters. Because my mom always had my best interests at heart. Now, now, Shauna, you speak to an issue that I think many of us are challenged with. Um, we always say that the decision. Well, I always tell people that the decisions that you are doing today, the actions that you're doing today, are rooted in past experiences. And until you understand the past of your life, you'll never make the proper decisions to move forward in life. But and and this is I'm, I'm not going to specify this specifically to an uh, ethnic group like African Americans, but I will say mm. that African Americans do not deal well with pain, disappointment, and trauma. Um, we are told to get over it and move on. Mm-hmm. And as long as we don't talk about it, we think that we're okay, kind of out of sight, out of mind. But that pain lingers around for years and years and years. And it's what the Bible calls generational curses. Yes. And it goes from generation to generation to generation. And now that God kind of allows us to take a step back in our older years and we're able to see our parents and we're able to see what they went through. I mean, we always used to hear that, that you'll understand it in the by and by. <laughs> But it didn't. It didn't make sense in the moment. It did. Like at fourteen years old, having a baby, uh, having the whole world kind of consume around the baby and what's important for Lashonda and how do I take care of her, and then still trying to make progressive ways forward in order to better your life, had to be a pretty difficult juggling act for your mom. Mm-hmm. But it leads me to this question here because. As you see where you are right now, your life has been defined by some struggles that you've had to overcome. Right. Some obstacles that appeared in your way, large obstacles, uh, big challenges. But look at where you are today. So I want you to talk about how did you overcome those challenges, those those things that were set up in front of you that you had to deal with in order to get to the next level of where you are right now? Honestly, my grandmother, um, Joyce, she said, one day I was just having a bad day. I can't even really tell you what it was now, hindsight. Like, I really don't know. But it was the end of the world for me on that day. She said, I need you to read Psalm 70. Just read it. It says, Lord, help me. I'm needy. Mm. And in all those little six verses, the only one thing I kept saying was, Lord, I'm needy. She said, just read it. Whenever you're in trouble, he'll come. He'll hasten to you. Didn't really understood what she meant, right? But I'm going to read it because my grandmother told me to. And I'm going to read it every morning, noon, and night. But it says I'm needy. Come quick. Don't let them take me out, Lord. I need you to help me. And now when I feel like I'm in trouble or I feel like I'm challenged or I feel like I'm perplexed and I can't go on, I just read Psalm 70. I know now that if my mom overcome having me at 14, that it's not the end of the world, Shonda, that you can make it. Mm. I just look back at them. My dad, my, my biological father, Alan, he battled cancer for seven years before he finally lost his fight. He had liver surgery after liver surgery after liver surgery, removing the cancer, literally like three or four of them. And finally, the doctor said, there's just nothing else we can do. There's no more surgery. It's too much scar tissue. But I look at my dad, he stayed positive the whole time. And he was like, I'm okay with going to be with the Lord, Shonda. Mm-hmm. I'm okay, I'm okay. And I'm like, how are you okay? You're leaving me. 
And he was like, I'm just going to be with the Lord. I'm going to wear my crown, and you're going to see me again if you just live right. But my dad never gave up hope. He believed that the Lord was going to heal him. And so for those things, when I'm in a challenge, I just go to Psalm 70. I think about my mom, and I'm like, I can't give up now. I've Mm -hmm. come too far. I just got to press a little bit farther. There is something waiting for me at the end, and I just got to give it my all. Is it easy? No. I tell my kids at school, I'm a high school counselor, I say, you know, I'm just your best hope on your worst day. That's all I'm here for. I don't come here to work for man. I come here to work for the Lord because I'm just your best hope on your worst day. Because I work in a low, strict poverty, new-to-the-country students, no money, illegal immigrants, whole nine. I understand your struggle, though, because mm. I came from a 14-year-old mother, and it hasn't been easy. I look back and I think, how did my mom feed me? When I can't give my daughter a steak and I had to eat cereal so that she could have a hamburger, right? But what did my mom do? And so I think for me, it's that Psalm 70 that I just read it and I pray. And I'm like, Lord, you never leave me nor forsake me. So I'm just going to keep going. And I don't know. My friend was laughing at me the other day. I say, I just want to do mission work. I just want to go help those. I said, I just need the Lord to put the bush on fire and say, Shonda, this is where you got to go. <laughs> but it don't work that way. <laughs> it don't. But no, that's what I want. That that's what I want. Yeah, if it were only like that, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> I was like, can he just set the bush on fire yeah. and say, Shonda, just just take this path. And I'm not fearful. That's one thing. I'm, I'm not fearful because I trust him. And I do believe that he would never leave me nor forsake me. And I know that because he hasn't. He's brought me so far that I know he won't. And so it's just, you pray for clarity. But I think the label, ADD, my attention is so everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's why I have the real estate. That's why I have the life insurance. I don't know if my mom ever told you the story about being a bartender. Funny story. I get my counseling license, and I think, oh, I can go save the world. I got this. I can just, I can go turn every drunk. They're not going to be drunk no more. I'm going to be the bartender. <laughs> no, no, this is true. Ask my mom. This is a story she told people when she want to explain her daughter. And so I say, Mama, I need $399 to go to bartending school. I said, I'm going to pay it back as soon as I finish my first gig. Please just invest in me this one time. It's always invest in me one time. (laughs) So I go, and I go to bartending school, not bragging in any stretch of the means, but I'm just smart, and I catch on fast, right? Mm -hmm. I catch on to the things I want to catch on to. So I'm pretty smart. I graduated in the top of my bartending class, made the fastest drink, whatever the number one was. And my teacher was so proud of me. Fast forward a couple weeks, he sends me out on an event. I do one event, and I make my tips that night, and I get paid, and I realize I'm about to go humble myself and give this $400 back because I ain't never doing that again. So next morning I go, I say, Mama, here go your $400 back. Not going to bartend anymore. She said, Shonda, you just did one night. That's not for me, Mama. They don't want to be helped. And I say, I don't like that. And I gave her the money back. And I say, I'm done with that. So now I have this certificate, right? Invested six weeks in this class. Every afternoon, five to nine, six weeks. Because I'm going to be a bartender and I'm going to go save them. I don't even know what about it. 
I didn't like. I don't know if it was the noise, if it was the smoke, if it was, I don't know, because I've never been to a club. In the military, eight years, never drink, never smoke, never been to a club. Not my personality at all. Just always wanting to be educated and try something new and, and do something new. I told my mom, that's not for me. I can't dance. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I have no rhythm. That's not for me. Here go your $400. But you know what? What if someone would have said, Shonda, just focus on one gift and talent. You have so many. Mm. Just focus on this one. I find myself even now, I'm making cakes, I'm making mugs, I'm making T-shirts. I'm, I'm just doing all kind of stuff everywhere, right? Just focus on crafting one talent. Just, just work on this one. And I'm like, okay. But I'm so across the board. It's like so you it's are hard. a certified bartender as well. That needs to be <laughs> no. I ain't put putting that your, in there. No, no, no. I don't spell. want nobody to call me for that. No, no. But that is that. That's um. That's that's very interesting because you know you are you good. You are um. When we looked at this uh, your 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 resume, um, life has got you into several different fields. Mm-hmm. And taking you into several different directions, but right now you are a counselor. Are you a counselor or a teacher? I'm a counselor. You're a counselor uh, at a school, and I want to ask you, how, what was what was the the path that led you to that place? Because that that place right there um, is a very very important place. Uh, that 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 place of teaching our young people, um, pointing them in a different trajectory. Um, being able to understand what they're going through in this generation, this generation, this 2000 plus generation, they're dealing with things, Dr. Page, that we in my mm-hmm. lifetime and my earlier years as a child never had to deal with. The issues that are being played with our children right now in 2021 are things that I could have never imagined going no. through. Grown up problems with a 14 year old, and it's just it's plaguing them at a very high level. So, how did you how did you get to this place to where you are to being a counselor at the school that you do? I started out at Beatrice Mace Institute. I came home from the military. Enron in, in had just crashed, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to go home and be a computer programmer. Never thought about being a teacher. Not even an aspiration of mine. Like. I just didn't think it. So I get out the military in June of 99. Enron had just crashed. I couldn't find a job. No oil and gas experience. All these people, you know, are out of work, so they're taking all of the jobs. So I take my daughter back to the charter school that we all grew up in, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? So I would stay there, linger around, help her at the school because I didn't have nowhere to go. My military pay hadn't run out. I was still on my military leave. And... I would help out there, and she said, "Well, my computer teacher quit. What's you know? What do you? What's your background?" I said, "Well, I have a degree in computer science. I was going to be a computer programmer when I got home. Just sit in the cubicle program." She said, "Well, I need a sub. Come sub for me. And on the days you have to go on the interview, I'll let you go." I was like, "I can't teach kids. I was like, I barely can do my own daughter." She was like, "You can do this from there. First year computer computer teacher." And she was like, come back next year. And I'm like, okay. But I still was holding out hope I was going to be a computer programmer. Year three, computer teacher. 
I'm like, oh, well, I think I'm kind of stuck here now. And so from there, it just kind of grew. I went to being a resource math teacher. And somewhere in the classroom, I was helping the kids. I was coaching the kids. We were filling out financial aid. And we were doing all kind of things. I was like, maybe I should be a counselor. I could have a greater impact. So in 2010, I started working on my master's for, you know, to get to school counseling. And the principalship was just two more courses. So I just went ahead and did it in case I ever needed it. But I knew I never wanted to be the disciplinarian. I always wanted to be the one to coach and counsel and redirect and, hey, let's try it this way. Let's do it that way. And that's kind of how I got to where I am right now. I was at Dolby um, for about eight Mm. years and I moved. They moved me to South Houston. And I was like, I don't speak Spanish. They was like, it's okay. You'll be all right. It's enough people around there. And I'm like, I can't relate to them. I don't understand. But you know what? The true blessing has come from being over there with those students. You hear their stories of how they got here from Honduras and Barrels and Guatemala and how they had to cross the border and how they stayed in refugee camps. And my whole motto for probably the last 12 years I've been an educator is I just need to be some kids best hope on their worst day because with no disrespect to you I always tell my kids you don't know the hell they went through to get here Mm. I say and that's our one curse word for the year I say we're not going to be dropping no other curse words but you really don't know the hell you don't know if they hungry you don't know if they clothes are clean you don't know if they got food if they got lights so in this room we're going to treat everybody as an equal part and I just need to be their best hope and someone say why did you pick hope I say because hope is helping other people endure because mm-hmm. I have to endure. So I need to help them endure. And so I love it. Um, I use my Google Translator sometimes to talk to them just to show them that I want to understand yeah, you. I, I want to relate to you. I want to connect to you. Sometimes I do have to get a Spanish speaker, but I use my translator. Their stories are horrific. And it's been enough now to where I want to go to third world countries and help them with their educational system because they come here to get educated because their countries don't really have good systems for those that are low income and poverty. So they try to escape here to get educated to maybe go back and change their country. And so as a school counselor, I'm able to help with all of that. I'm able to help with not only grades and credits, but just the emotional trauma that they come with. And this pandemic... It's been awful. We have kids, mothers die, fathers die, grandparents die, and they just don't know how they're they're making it. And it's like, miss, what am I going to do? And it's hard to sit there and tell them it's going to be okay when they're 16, 15, 14, no mother, no father. I have a kid right now comes to my office every day. Her mother and her father died in the pandemic. Mom caught COVID-19, gave it to the family put in the hospital. She didn't come home. Dad ended up being put in the hospital like two weeks later. He ended up passing away. So now you have this 14-year-old ninth grader who, what am I going to do? And she was Mm. the only child. So she's living with her aunt right now, but that's nothing like being with your parents. And I don't really think people understand the impact that this pandemic has had on our youth and just them, the normal society issues of being in 2021. Well, you're talking about the pandemic of COVID-19. Listen, um, I don't think that anybody was prepared um, for what the onslaught of COVID-19 brought to the masses. 
because we're still going to be dealing with that, in my humble opinion, for the next couple of years, the fallout from it. Um, so b- b- by no stretch of the imagination are we out of the woods yet. Uh, but, Lashonda, you speak about a couple of things that are near and dear to my heart. One um, is, is the youth, um, young people. I always tell people that if you want to see if a person is a good person or not a good person, this is a litmus test that I literally use. I see whether or not babies go to them. You know, how do babies respond around adults? Um, because when I, if, if a child don't want to have nothing to do with you and the child don't know you and he doesn't want anything to do with you, you know, I get a raised eyebrow on that because the Bible says that through the mouth of babes, uh, God has perfected praise. So I, I, I endure and I talk about the young people a lot because they are going through a lot. Right. Um, they are going through a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Now, I grew up in, you know, in a single parent household. Um, you know, we, by no stretch of the imagination where we living in River Oaks. Um, we had to struggle. We had to get through. My mom had to work two and three jobs to make it. Um, that was just kind of part of the landscape. But in the environment that I grew up in, I grew up around my cousins and, and stuff like that. And it was a tight family unit. Right. Um, the stuff that we were dealing with in that day, of course, we had no social media, no Instagram, no Facebook, no Twitter. So we didn't have the influences of those major platforms speaking in our ears at all different times throughout the day. And so a lot of these kids right now are battling things um, that in my generation we never had to endure. I do believe that right now gender dysphoria is a very real issue. I believe the psychological uh, problems are a real issue with our young people, and they are not being diagnosed to the degree to where we can help them. And so you're speaking to a lot of things that I think we got some gaps that we need to be filling. But one of the things that I want to kind of get to here is when you're talking about the international part, the third world. And I use that term very, very loosely um, because we say third world in order to compare it to anything other than America, right? Mm-hmm. Because America is the land flowing with milk and honey. And if, if, if Americans say that it's good, then of course it's good. But in my travels, uh, 31 countries are all around the world, Central South America, Africa, Europe, all those places. And I've gone into places where not poor people, See, America knows poor. Mm-hmm. I go into areas that are impoverished. And there is a huge difference between living in the CUNY homes and living in a landfill. Yes. Those are, th- those are two, different, um, two different worlds. And so I've been to Guatemala and Honduras and, and all of the places that are uh, that a lot of these migrants are coming from. And I've seen these areas. I, I've been in these areas on numerous occasions and have done church services in landfill, have done food distributions in places that uh, you wouldn't want to, you right. wouldn't want to step in. Right. And so when you're talking about the third world, and here's the other thing that I was talking about this yesterday with my wife, because of my travels, I have such a perspective that other people can enjoy. And it has broadened my horizon um, it is what Jabez told to God that he would enlarge my territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, the enlarging of the territory gives you a better perspective on the now, right? And right. if all you know is America, if all you know is Houston, Texas, the continental U.S., if all you know are the luxuries by which we oftentimes take for granted, right. you have a very skewed view and you can't see anything outside of that normal thing. So, But because I've actually been to those places, I have a deeper empathy than does somebody who's never been. 
Right. Right. And so you being able to listen to these uh, these young people tell you their stories, you're able to empathize with them. But let me ask you this question. So how do you how do you take that child um, who comes from that environment, comes over to a new country, a new whole set of rules, regulations? How do you encourage that person, even with your own story, to get past some of those obstacles and those challenges that they may be facing? You know what? Believe it or not, they'll encourage you because they're so motivated to succeed, to not go back to that, to go and get their parents and get their grandparents, that it does not take a lot, right? Like they honestly will encourage you, but you just have to kind of work through the emotional of them being away from their family, from them, I guess that's their biggest issue is not being here, being Americanized because they see a lot of the Americanized from their country. It's more of that emotional family impact for them. You got to help them get over being away, having to come live with an aunt or uncle because most of the time they don't come here with their parents. They leave their parents there and they come here with another relative hoping for them to get citizenship and then in return bring their parent here. Um, and so a lot of theirs is more of that trauma of being away from the family. And so when, but when you hear them, they was like, but miss, I got to succeed. They try really hard in school. They like, I have one little boy, he comes to school, he makes all A's, literally 97s, 98s. And then he leaves and goes to work um, at a construction site at night and sends his money back just so he can help his family because there was some major flood there and their house was washed away. So they literally been sleeping under a tent. So he works and then sends his money back to them. And you just have to tell them, don't give up. You know, just remember where you came from. And that's always easier said than done. Because like you said, you've seen it firsthand. I've only seen it in the pictures in their phone. So I can only imagine what it's like. Um, I have been to some places in Africa, but I don't think it compares to the things that they show you and the stories that they've had to go through to get here. And so you honestly, you're just kind of there to be, hey, don't give up. Remember, you're here to, you know, help your family. And so while some might not agree, they actually, that's all they want. They just want better from where they were, sleeping under a tent, sleeping in a hut, no electricity, no water, no toiletry. Like you say, the things we take for granted for just everyday life. Now, and, and this will lead me to, to, to this, John, and I, and I take heed about this, but I'm going to stand flat-footed and say it with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I understand that America's got issues. Um, warts and all America has got some stuff that we are still trying to navigate our way through um, but there are people risking life and limb to get to these shores of America because they understand the opportunity that is presented within the continental walls of the United States of right. America they understand that I stand a better chance in America than I do in my own country and if it means me walking 400 miles if it means me getting into a canoe and trying to cross the Atlantic to get to the shores of America then that's what I'm going to do because America provides the best opportunity to lift yourself out of whatever condition that you mm -hmm. may be in America provides that opportunity. Now, again, America is by no way stretch or the imagination perfect. Right. We got warts. We still got stuff that we are travailing through as a nation. But when you're telling me 
that America is not the best place. The poorest man in America is the richest man everywhere else. else. Yep. Okay. When I went to uh, Bamboo, Jamaica, we literally, as we were passing, coming out of our living quarters and hit the main road, there was literally a man that got hit by a car. So we made a right, mm-hmm. and we could see it in our peripheral that there was a man that got hit by a car. We were going this way, and it happened going this way. As we were coming back home, which was about 5 o'clock that same day, that same man was still laying on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Just got hit by a car. Now, in America, if, you, if, if a nurse passes an accident and does not render aid, you can't just leave somebody laying dead and laying hurt uh, in, in the streets. You got Medicaid, you got Bentob, which is a number two trauma hospital in America. So you ain't even got to have any money, but you can get the medical attention that you need. And so America, warts and all, these people understand, people that are coming across the lands are understanding that America prevents me or gives me the best opportunity to survive. But I want to ask you a question. Because as I talk to them in Guatemala, um, and unfortunately, the biggest thing for me, LaShonda, is that COVID-19 has wrecked. Um, I haven't been able to do a mission trip since February of 2020. Mm. Uh, so where I'm normally doing six to seven trips a year, uh, going to all and visiting all of our partners around the world, I've not been able to travel, of course, because of the restrictions right. of COVID-19. And what I share with people is that while COVID-19 is ravaging America, it has caused us some inconveniences to the most part. Um, These third world countries like Belize, Honduras, Guatemala, they can't absorb COVID-19 like America can. Okay, they can't just, America uh, uh, economy is robust. And so even through a pandemic, there are still options that can be had. But in these third world countries, they don't have those kind of opportunities. And so as bad as it is in America, I want you to amplify that times 10 in these countries that don't have top of the line medical right. facilities and have all the things that America has afforded to it. And so one of the things that has been a struggle for me is not being able to get to our partners and, and, and our partners in, in Guatemala, Africa and all these different places around Central and South America, they're struggling. Uh, COVID-19 has had a damning effect on them. And while we in America are on the way back, we're bouncing back. We got the vaccines. Uh, in India, you have a class of people called the untouchables, almost 60 million of them that are dying by the boatload uh, because India has a caste system. And if you're born into the untouchables, um, then you're born less than animals. So they are 50, 60, 70 million people, kids mm-hmm. included, that are not even given the option to get the vaccine to stop COVID-19 from ravaging them. Right. They're literally being left to die. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in America, you get insulated by the, 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 the novelties that we have. Right. And you know what my student said it best? He said, this is like Disney World. America is like Disney World. You can dream as big as you want. And then reality sets in when I go back to Guatemala. Mm. And I was like, Disney? He said, just think of America as Disney World. Like, just all of America is Disney World. Disney World, people put it as a place of happiness. It's a place where you can be a kid again, no matter what your age is. He said, that's what um, what America is to those of us from other countries. Now, you're in a place right now to, to where... You have overcome, you've seen your mother overcome some issues. 
Um, you've seen your father overcome some issues. You are surrounded by people that have overcome things and have not allowed those problems, those obstacles to hold them back. Um, not denying or or degrading the problem. It was a severe problem, but they moved past it. Right. And you're surrounded by that. So that's within your sphere. You, you, you can put your hands on people that have overcome certain things in their life, right? right. You can actually, you got that experience. But I want to ask you, as you are moving past these things with the students that you, um, that you are teaching and counseling, even the people that are watching right now, you know, there are times in which life presents us with challenges. Mm-hmm. And as the old saints say, if it hasn't happened, just keep living. Um, life is going to hit you with a body blow. Yeah. It, it's it's going to try to knock the wind out of you. That's to everybody. Jesus said it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. So whether you're following God or whether you're not following God, right. the storm is going to come. But let me ask you a 30,000-foot view question in light of that. As you're looking at how you have been successful, and as I look at your biography in many different respects, um, that's what we would qualify as successful. But what is your definition of success? How would, how would you, uh, LaShonda Page, how would you define success? What does it look like? Success for me is a little bit different for anyone else because I feel like if I can just help one and I can help them overcome, and overcome just might be that they just are having a bad day and they just need some encouragement and they'll come back to me and say, thank you, miss, that really helped. I was successful. I don't tie it to a monetary number. I don't tie it to a title. Um, I long learned that I was here to be a servant leader. I was here to serve people. I was here to be a giver. And so if I could just help one, I never really understood that no child left behind until I was able to help one kid. And I just say if I can be that one, one hope, like just help one. Um, my little girl right now, every day is a struggle. She comes in my off crying. She comes in my off boohoo crying because she just doesn't know what life is going to look like without her parents. But when she leaves, she's smiling and she was like, okay, miss, I'm going to go get A's. I can do this. I say, yes, you can. She's my success because I didn't fail. She didn't still leave my office crying. She left with just a little bit of hope. And so I think if I can just if I could just see the smile and someone could just tell me, miss, I'm not going to give up. Yeah, that's my yeah, success. That's a success. That's a success to me. Mm. And there's a lot of reasons why they should give up. I tell my students all the time, and you probably would say the same coming from a single mother. Your mother, looking back at it now, probably had to get some assistance, whether it was from another family member, Absolutely. whether it was food stamps, whether it was housing. But we didn't know that. I don't know if you knew it, but I didn't know it. I didn't know that those things existed. My mom did a very good job of sheltering me from that. If she did get those assistance, I never questioned. I never asked. But guess what? My students sit in my office and tell me, my mama spent all our food stamps. She sold them. The housing people left a note on our door because she won't even pay $57. These kids, they know that. So when I have to try to encourage them to, hey, well, it's best practice for you to pay your bills. It's best practice for you to make sure you have a roof over your head and you have food to eat. Then go buy name brand stuff and yeah. pay yourself on yeah. bill. 
that's still a success to me because I imparted one piece of knowledge to them and they leave my office like, okay, miss, I got it. And when a kid tells you back what you told them, you know that you, you've done what you were supposed to do. Now that's success, and I want you to, I want, I, I want us, I want us to kind of unpeel that, uh, unpackage that, uh, because when they see all of the accolades that I put uh, at the beginning of the podcast, a uh, uh, double doctorate, double, uh, you got two master's degrees, and, and people look at us from a distance and they admire us from afar, and they see all of the things that you know are on the landscape of our lives in the here and now, but they don't know the backdrop. You know, mm-hmm. they see they look at the destination, but they don't understand the journey. And and many people put a lot of stock into the destination. Man, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. I'm going to be that. But it's the journey that defines you. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about success, Dr. Page, it is important that people need to hear that maybe you're not going to get a double master's. Maybe you're not going to get a double doctorate. But we have to redefine what success is. As I told you with my grandmother, well, my, not on this podcast, but I told the men last night, my grandmother, 84 years old, God bless her soul. She went on to be with the Lord in December of um, 2018. Uh, but my grandmother was a dishwasher and a waitress for the majority of her life. Hmm. Uh, she never owned a home. Um, but she was the hardest working person that I've ever known. Um, she was my definition of success. She raised um, 11 children um, in the midst of a Jim Crow era. Um, she went up and she went to work every single day to make sure that her kids had what she needed. She was not a doctor. Her name is not in lights. When she died, only the family and friends closest to her mourned her death. Um, So she didn't get a big old obituary. She didn't get put on the news stations. Nobody knew about it on social media. But she was a success. She was a hard-working woman who took care of her business and took care of her family. And so when we're talking about success, it does not maybe you're going to mean that you're going to, you know, go to the military and do this and do that. And I try to share with people all the time. You have to find what success looks like for you. Mm-hmm. Please don't model your life after me because your success is not my success and my success is not yours. But as long as you're trying to live my life and walk in my path, you will never experience the joy that comes from walking out your own. And so somebody's got to take out the trash, Dr. Page. They do. Somebody's got to drive the trash truck. Somebody's got to make the food. But as we're trying to get people to be successful, what we're actually trying to do is to encourage people that no matter where you are, bloom right there. Bloom where you're planted. I tell my kids all the time, you have four years to be in high school, but what are they going to say about you in between the dashes? What are they going to say about you? I think about... You sit here and you say, Dr. Page, and I tell people all the time, I'm just LaShonda. I'm grateful for every accolade I've ever gotten. But at the end of the day, my mom named me LaShonda, and I'm just LaShonda. But what are you going to say about me in between the dashes? Because it's not going to be two MBAs. It's not going to be two doctorates. That's not what I want you to say about me. I want you to say in between the dashes, and I pray that everyone that comes in contact with me in between those dashes will say she cared about me. Mm -hmm. She inspired me. She gave me hope. That's what I want you to say. She's a Christian woman. She walks with integrity. That's what I want my dash to be. Because oftentimes our kids come in there from 2018 or 2017 to 2021. 
What are they saying about you in between the dashes? Are they saying you bad, you disrespectful, you wear your pants down to your ankles, you you cursing everybody out? That's not what I want them to say about the kids on my caseload. I want them to say my kids was respectful, they were mannerable, they went to class, they didn't skip class, they were the model student. Even in spite of your trauma, you can still make a choice to do right. Absolutely. And so what are they going to say about you in between the dashes? Because what people say about you in between the dashes is very important, especially when it's the truth and not false. I tell people, Maya Angelou said it best. I could have bought you 10 drinks when we went to Jerusalem. I could have talked your ear off. I could have probably even said something that was so profound to you, but you won't remember what I said. You won't remember what I did, but you're going to always remember how I made you feel. Mm -hmm. And so you got to be mindful to treat others how you want to be treated because no one wants to be mistreated. And that's a part of that dash of life. And so what does your success look like? Because success to some does look like materialistic Absolutely. things. It does. But my success is what my kids will say. When I graduated kids from 2014, 2015, and they still coming back to the school, bringing their kids to me, saying, hey, this was a strong influence in my life. She's the reason why I am what I am today. And I have to tell them, no, no, no. Who's the reason why you are who you are today? I know, I know it's God. My kids know, I tell them, I'm not nothing without God. So I'm just a, a seed that he's using to help you get where you have to and go. And that's important. And, 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 and LaShawna, and I'm going to tell you why I continue to acknowledge um, the doctor. <clears throat> uh, I understand that we, um, that God is using, and I hate to use this term, in, in prolific and profound ways. Um, so my mom named me Marcus, <laughs> you know, but my assignment that God has me doing in this season happens to be with the designation of pastor. And that, that is to lead people in a direction to get them into a closer and right relationship with God because God uses people. <clears throat> and so the reason why I, I hold and I acknowledge that because the Bible says to whom honor is due, give honor. Mm -hmm. Education for me, and we've talked about many things on, on, on our podcast here, Studio B, um, in regards to all the race relations, the political, political <coughs> unrest. Um, and I've talked about things about how to close the economic gap that exists between the have and the have nots. And I've said that one of the quickest ways to close the gap between the economic portion is with education. Um, education absolutely matters, and it absolutely brings in, brings you into a uh, tighter view. So the reason why I acknowledge, um, you, you know, your designations is not that you are the title, but I want somebody to be able to look at this podcast and say, man, okay, well, she's overcome some great things. Um, she was determined to do this. She did that. Uh, she went after this. She did that. She did this. She did that. Her mom overcame this. She did that. And they're able to look and say, man, okay, well, if she can do that, then so can I. And you know what? You're right. And, I, and I'll share with you, Jamal, as much as I hate to tell you this, I could not stand Jamal. I dreaded for him to come to my class every day. He was just that one kid, right? As much as I prayed, he wouldn't change. As much as I talked, he wouldn't change. And I just... 
everyone at the school would say Jamal is destined for prison. And I'd be like, no, 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 don't speak that over his life. He's just misguided. You know, he just doesn't get it. We fast forward, Jamal graduates high school, and I'm ecstatic for him to go across the stage. And I'm like, Jamal, I wish you the best, whatever it is. Jamal never knew that I didn't want him to come to my class or I didn't want him to come in my office. But I just, Jamal was just, he was that kid for me. And I never met another one either. But do you know Jamal came back to me three years later? And this was in 2017. He graduated in 2014. He came back 2017 to Dobie. Dr. Page, yes, Jamal, how are you? I'm so glad to see you. I got my bachelor's degree three years. I say, well, that's super. He's saying, guess what? I got accepted in the pharmacy tech school. Mm. I say, huh? He said, yeah, this 1.7 GPA kid who graduated number 517 out of 520, I'm going to pharmacy school. Wow. I was like, I'm so proud of you. He goes on. He called me the other day. I'm getting my doctorate. He said, I didn't finish in May. He said, but I'm joining you in the ranks. Dr. Jamal Mm -hmm. in December. I say, well, you know what? I'm so proud of you. But here's the thing. I didn't want to see Jamal coming, but I knew because what's my motto? I'm your best hope on your worst day. You couldn't have paid me to ever believe that Jamal would have stepped foot at TSU to finish any type of degree. But he said, I know, miss, I was your headache. He said, but every day I came to your office, I just needed you to yell at me because I wasn't getting that at home. I needed you to believe in me. I needed for you to tell me it was going to be okay. And he said, here I am. I owe it all to you. I said, no, no, no. He said, yes, I know. I got to give God grace first. He said, but miss, you never gave up on me. You never once told me I was going to jail and I was going to be in prison. All them things them people would say to me because I just needed some attention. I said, well, you know what? I'm happy. So you are totally right in everything that you're saying because you never know who's watching you and you never know who's inspiring to be like you. And Jamal could tell my story to you better than I can because I've had to remind him, product of a 14-year-old mother. I remember when they put my book on Amazon true story. I was sitting at my desk and the publisher emailed me and it said, we went live. And I remember opening my phone and I put in Amazon, LaShonda Page, and the book popped up. And I called my mom. I say, this product of a 14-year-old mother is on Amazon all around the world. (laughs) She say, huh? I say, mama, go to Amazon, type in my name. This 14-year-old child, everybody was excited about the book on Amazon, right? I'm just like, this 14-year-old product, because that's what I am. I'm the product of a 14-year-old, and here I am on a world platform, my name. I didn't care if the book didn't sell one, two, three copies. At that moment, in them 30 seconds, all I could say was, Man, thank you, Lord. You took this product and look at me now. I was so wow, I did it. Man, God, look at us. You know, I'm always like, look at us. And my daughter be like, look at who, mama? 
Me and God, it's us. This is a team effort. I don't get nowhere without him. My kids will tell you that. Jamal going across that stage in December, you're going to be at my, at my graduation. I said, if they'll allow me, you're going to cut my ribbon or put my pen or whatever it is that he's going to do when he get this coat. That's where we're going, right? And I was like, Jamal, that's something for your family. He say, Miss, every night, you were my best hope on my, on my worst day. When I wanted to quit pharmacy school, I wasn't dare going to call you and tell you I was quitting. He said, I just kept pushing because I knew it was hope waiting on me on the other side. That's my success. When you ask me about success, those are my successes. And... <clears throat> Um, John, let me tell you, um, I, I believe in the power of encouragement. Um, my spirit is at times very vexed with what we continually tell people that they can't do. Um, if, if, if the word of God is true, which it is, um, the Bible has many precious promises that God speaks on behalf of his children. Mm-hmm. He said, nothing is impossible to those who believe. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, through his infinite wisdom, by ways that I don't understand, Deuteronomy 29 and 29, the secret things belong to God. Mm -hmm. God works in ways that my mind can't wrap around. Um, But I understand that God, in order to accomplish his purpose on earth, uses vessels by which he accomplishes that purpose. People. He, He... and dwells us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who are, who are born again, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, he empowers us. He leads us, guides us, directs us into accomplishing his will on earth. Mm-hmm. And God wants us to be agents of change. As you are connecting with God, God never promises you a golden road. Mm-mm. But he does promise he'd never leave you nor forsake you. He doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, um, it's going to be quite the opposite. But God uses those way stops along our lives to not only continue to push us forward, but to use it as a testimony to help somebody else get to that same place. And if we have arrived and gotten to a certain place in our lives to where we have gotten out of a particular storm and we're not reaching back, um, or as, your, uh, as the picture on his book says, um, reaching down and giving a hand up, then what are we doing with the testimony? Um, it, it is important for everybody to understand that my, my purpose is if you look at my life, I am um, an absolute contradiction of what everybody believed that I was going to be. <laughs> um, and to God be the glory for all that he has done in and is doing in my life. But God has given me a specific charge to bring as many people to glory as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And LaShonda, that means reaching down into the muck, into the mire, where people may be at desperate waypoints in their life, and telling them, and here, here, please hear what I'm saying, look at my life. Mm-hmm. Look at what God has done in my life. Hear my story. Hear my story and take encouragement in yours. Yeah. You wrote a book called Transforming K through 12 Christian School, uh, uh, Christian School Education, uh, inviting the exceptional student to an exceptional uh, educational feast. 
um, the, the, the name itself uh, just resonates within me because of education. Right. I, I'm just big on education, man. I think we should be, I think we should be learning. Uh, and, and again, maybe not even, um, not even maybe, that may not look like a four-year degree. No. That may look like a trade school, a certification. That, that, that may look like a lot of different options. Right. And I tell people all the time, the degree, says the person who has five, is not the tell-all, be-all. When I first started counseling, I sold my kids short. Because I would say, if you're going to be a janitor, I want you to be the best janitor that you can possibly be. If you want to be a maid, you just be the best maid. All I want you to do is give 110%. But what if I would have been encouraging them to possibly educate others on how to be that best person? And you can create multiples of you instead of me just isolating you to this one thing. I've had many students that went on to auto mechanic school at San Jack. They went on to web design. One of my students, he now works for... um, Warner Brothers, because I pushed him to do graphic design against his own will. He would come in my office with all his drawings, and he loved the computer. I say, let's take these two and put them together. So while he was in high school, he worked on a graphic design certificate. By coincidental chance, but I say God intervention, we submitted his drawing and his work into a contest. At 18 years old, he graduated and went on to Warner Brothers because he won that contest. Mm. And he was the youngest person to ever win it. But it was me seeing his gift and saying, this is what we're going to do. Because no one was guiding it at home. And I'm going to back up a little bit so you understand. A lot of the students these days are not coming from two-family homes. Mm -hmm. They're coming from a home with grandmother and aunt and someone else. There's not a mother and a father there. Or if there is a mother there, they like I was, just a little bit older than them, trying to raise them. And so these kids are looking for someone to believe in them because there's so much going on in that outside factor outside of the school. And so now he's living in California and he's working with Warner Brothers. But guess what? He's doing what he loves to do, which is drawing. He didn't go get a four-year degree, but he tells me all the time. He reminds me when he emails me. He's the one who designed the cover on the book. Mm. I make six figures. I'm making more than you because you work in public education. I say, but I'm touching more lives than you. No, you're not because I'm on the TV screen. And that's mm. kind of how him and I, we joke, right? But in the bigger scheme of things, what if I wouldn't have kept pushing him? What if God wouldn't have said, Look, he has this talent. Look, invest in this. This is where you need to be pushing him. So I agree with you. It doesn't have to be a four-year degree. Yes, that's nice. Yes, that's what they tell us. But my brother, I don't know if my mom ever told you this. My youngest brother, Andre, works in the chemical plant. He went to Saul Ross for one semester, played football, came home in January, December, but told my mom, I'm not going back in January, but you give me $65, I'm going to get a Twit card, and I'm going to go work with my homeboy. He been doing that now for the last 18 years, and he makes more money than the three of us that have degrees. Mm. And he has now one piece of paper. Mm. All he wanted to be able to say to my mom was, I tried it, because it's important It was important to my mom for her kids to be educated and to just be your best you. So he wanted to say, I tried it. I tried it. He tried it. 
It wasn't for me, but he's the one who, if you want to put measure to paper, is making more than any of us. Now, ain't that, and see, that's the encouragement that I want somebody to pull from this because, again, my life trajectory is not going to match yours. Because right. God, if, if Jeremiah 29 and 11 by uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, God knows that I know the plans that I have for you. I know those plans. And right. those plans are to prosper you and plans for a hope in the future. But my plans for you are not like the plans that I have for Marcus. And my plans for LaShonda is not like the plans that I have for Walter. Right. Those are different plans. Now, all of them are going to accomplish my glory. <laughs> all of them are going to do things that will cause my name to be glorified in the earth. But it's going to look different for every person. The key, LaShonda, is finding your lane. And that's it. Finding your, finding your lane and there's a difference. I told the man last night, there's a difference between adoration and, and idolatry. Uh, I can glean from you. I can admire you, man. Look at what you're doing, this, that, and the other. But when I try to pattern my life behind your life, I move from adoration, from respect, and I move to idolatry. Because the only person that I'm supposed to pattern my life behind to the T is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I try to say, man, well, you know, Dr. Page got two masters, two doctorates. Uh, she went to the Navy. Uh, she got all these. I'm going to do that, 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 and that, and I'm going to do the exact same thing that she did. That's not adoration. That's idolatry. Right. As opposed to pulling from that testimony, man, what do you think it took for her to get two masters? What do you think it took for her to get two doctors? I know she had to go through hell and high water. There were some times in which she felt like giving up. A lot of times. Let me pull from that and put that into my own life. So I want to give you this last question because uh, this has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I'm going to make sure that we highlight your book here on Amazon. But I'm, before we do that, uh, I want you to look into this camera right here. And, and, and there's a person watching um, Studio B, um, LaShonda, the platform is, uh, for it is that we take mainstream everyday issues and we attack those issues head on. Mm -hmm. But we don't talk about them ad nauseum. You know, we don't talk about them from a 30,000 foot view. We connect mainstream issues that are affecting Main Street families and we connect them to what the Bible says. Okay, so if we're talking about racial unrest, what does the Bible say about that? Political unrest, what does the Bible say about that? Financial lack, what does the Bible say about that? So we try to connect these mainstream issues in a very practical way with biblical principles. Uh, because I understand not a lot of people are going to don the churches, uh, the halls of a church and watch somebody or listen to somebody stand behind the pulpit and preach for 40 minutes. However, in this platform, we have a wide range of viewership from teenagers, young adults, all the way up to our senior adults. So everybody in between. Right. And there are stories all in between. Mm -hmm. And so our viewership is not just a particular audience. It's a wide range of a lot of different testimonies like that gumbo pot. It's all in there. In there. So what I would like you to do is to sit and, and, and look in this camera, and I, I, want you to, I want you to encourage somebody that may be in a place right now to where they are contemplating, have contemplated, giving up. Uh, I don't know if I can get this done. It's just a bit much for me. You know, how do I move past it? How would you encourage that person right now that needs some encouragement? I would just tell you 
to don't give up, to just keep pushing. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be late nights. It's going to be early mornings. But to those endure, there is a true blessing at the end. I encourage you to reach down into your strength. I encourage you to tap into your resources and your family and pray and ask God to just give you strength. Lamentations 3 and 22 says, I dare to hope, but God is faithful. And so he will. He'll give you everything you need to survive. Um, I just say for just for me, it was just, I got to do it. 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 Because anything that I was accomplishing, I knew that it would bring glory to the kingdom. And so I didn't want to give up because I didn't want to, I didn't want to disappoint God, nor did I want to disappoint myself. So I would just encourage you every day you get up, set a small task and try to complete that task and know that within you, you have the power and the strength. Remember, hope is helping other people endure. But instead of helping others, you're going to help yourself. But your story is going to be a blessing to someone down the road. You can't have the testimony without the test, and you can't have the message without a mess. And so I just encourage you to not give up. Dr. LaShonda Page. Yes. Dr. LaShonda Page, and you can find her book, Transforming K-12 through Christian School Education, Inviting the Exceptional Student to Your Educational Feast. You can find that on Amazon. Yes. And that's under Dr. LaShonda D. Page. Uh, I want to thank you um, from the depths of my being. Mm. Um, just so that you know, we are ramping full-fledged back up in 2022 with our missions program. Okay. Uh, so we're going to be back on the plane going here, there, and everywhere. Um, so God has given us a two-year incubation for us to kind of get some stuff together. Uh, we got some plans. And, and what we've talked about offset mm-hmm. in those schools and these particular areas like Guatemala and Honduras, uh, we have some perfect landing spots for those uh, for those ideas. So just to put that in your coffer and you kind of be All meditating. All you have to do that. is give me dates. I told you, you give me dates and I'm gonna work my school schedule. Because I need it. you to get on a mission trip. And I know we went I to am. we went to Israel. And I took off from school, so yeah, I can so, take off from school to do mission work. So you, just you went to Israel give me them and dates. you was on the, uh, <laughs> at the at the Golden Dome. We walked through all of that, but uh, in talking about what we said, um, I believe that it's important that we really try to put some meat on that bone. Yes, uh, and discover what God has for us. But I want to tell you in Jesus' name, you know, I always try to give people their roses while they live. Thank you. Um, I am honored to be here. You are doing a fabulous job. Thank you. God is all in this. Um, to God be the glory by what he has done in and through you. And as our pastor says, to which I will tell you, the best for you is yet to come. And I want to encourage anybody out there in Jesus' name, um, take hope, take some snippets, you know, take some life lessons when you hear stories like this, um, because our stories are not unique. Um, our God is not a respecter of person, but he is a respecter of faith. And if you believe it, And if it's within God's will for you to accomplish it, God will provide you the means and the people to get it done. So, Dr. LaShonda Page, thank you so, so very much. And and your mother and your father would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to give a shout out to both of those and your daughter. Give them a shout out by name because I don't want no problems from (laughs) Sister Deborah Norman. So to my mother, Deborah Norman, my father, Nelson Norman, 
my biological father, Alan Wilson, in heaven now. I love you guys. I thank you for never giving up on me, believing in me. My daughter, Demonica Trenton, and my two grandkids. Can't forget about Aiden and Alaya. I love y'all. Y'all are my world. Um, And also very supportive. So thank you for always being there. Dr. LaShonda Page, it has absolutely been a pleasure. It has. Um, my distinction to host you here on the set of Studio B. Um, you've been an inspiration and you are an inspiration. Continue to strive to the greatest of heights. God has a wonderful plan for you. Thank um, everybody, thank you for joining us here on the set of Studio B. Remember, 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 like, follow, subscribe, comment so that you don't miss anything going on on the set of Studio B. We have some exciting stuff coming up here in the month of July where we will be going live. We will be going live with question and answers where you can call in to the actual podcast and talk to me directly during the podcast. Ask whatever questions. There will be no questions that will be off limits. Uh, my life is an open book, and we try to take the aha moments away from people. That's coming in July. Make sure you help us to get to 10,000 subscribers. We need to do that by August, which I know we can do with your help. Everybody, we love you. And remember, if God be for you, it's more than the entire world against you. We love you. We'll see you next week.